Welcome to Near East PolicyCast, episode 53 for February 1st, 2019. I'm Scott Rogers, online editor at the Washington Institute. In December, Iran test launched a new type of missile, one capable of delivering a very heavy payload, including possibly multiple warheads, to targets 2,000 kilometers away. Iran's main regional rival or target would, would be Israel. So Israel has a, has a very capable missile defense capability. So Iran would, would want to have a, a missile with or without a nuclear warhead that is capable of, uh, at least it has a good chance of defeating uh, missile defenses. That was Farzin Nadimi, an associate fellow at the Washington Institute, who studies Iranian air and naval capabilities and doctrines. He warns that Tehran's new missile represents a significant step toward a nuclear-capable launch vehicle, one with advanced targeting precision and the potential to defeat even advanced Israeli or American defenses. I spoke with Farzin by Skype to get his insight into Iran's latest missile developments, what they tell us about Iranian intentions, and why Tehran seems to be ramping up its ballistic launch activity right now. The full conversation, after this. This is Kate Bauer, Senior Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Washington Institute is dedicated to advancing a balanced and realistic understanding of American interests in the Middle East and promoting the policies to secure them. Find all of our research and analysis at WashingtonInstitute.org or follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute. I'm speaking today with Farzin Nadimi, an associate fellow at the Washington Institute who specializes in the security and defense affairs of Iran and the Gulf region. Farzin has written detailed studies of the doctrines and capabilities of Iran's air and naval forces, and he's been closely following Iranian missile developments for years. Farzin, welcome to Near East PolicyCast. Uh, good afternoon, Scott, and thank you for having me. So, Farzin, you recently wrote a policy watch on Iran's latest missile test launch in December 2018. What was that launch, and why was it significant? Well, that particular launch in December was a Horam Shah, a relatively new medium-range ballistic missile that was first shown in public in Iran in September 2017, and uh, it has been test-fired at least three times ever since, or, or, or uh, once before that. Uh, it's, it seems to be Iran's first liquid fuel departure from the uh, generic SCOT uh, design that Iranians have uh, been working on uh, for many years, and a design very similar to, to a North Korean uh, one, uh, which was first reported to be delivered to Iran um, quite many years ago, back in 2005. Karam uh, large payload would, would make the job of mating it with the first generation nuclear warhead relatively easy. A 500 to 1000 kilogram nuclear device, for example, and, uh, and Khoram Shahar can, um, can carry twice that capacity. So it would make it relatively easy to, to carry a, a first-generation warhead. It would give peace of mind to Iranian warhead designers if Iran ever goes that way. Just on the nature of the missile itself, sure. Iranian, yeah, Iranian, Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif has repeatedly claimed that the advanced precision of Iran's new missiles should be taken as a sign that they're intended for conventional rather than nuclear payloads, since precision targeting matters much more for conventional explosives than for atomic munitions. Should we be reassured that the Khoramshar is therefore merely an extension of Iran's conventional missile arsenal? Khoramshar can can reportedly carry an 1,800 uh, kilogram payload, which would would make it the largest in Iran's arsenal, to, to be honest. In fact, the, the heaviest uh, in Iran's arsenal, 
with regard to, to, to uh, warhead, and in fact, far heavier than what is required for pinpoint accuracy. Yes, as you mentioned in December, uh, Iranian Foreign Minister uh, Mohammad Javad Zarif claimed ir- ir- Iranian missiles were only designed for conventional rule because they have pinpoint accuracy and nuclear weapons do not need to be precise, but conventional warheads uh, do. Uh, this argument is flawed because uh, there have been high-precision nuclear-capable ballistic missiles. Take Pershing II of the 1980s, for example. And a small nuclear warhead of about 200 kiloton, for example, uh, would still require a good amount of precision to cause lethal damage to, to your target. With regard to significance of Horam Shah, Horam Shah was, was claimed to have the ability to carry multiple warheads to beat several targets. So if Iran was in fact managed to successfully test such a capability, it would be, it would be an alarming milestone uh, since multiple warheads have a better chance of defeating missile defenses like, like those in, in uh, Israeli position. So it can offer either a multi-warhead configuration with a potential capability of defending, uh, defeating uh, missile defenses or a unitary conventional warhead to carry very significant damage over a wider area without precision guidance. And um, there is also this, uh, this uh, possibility that, that it could be armed with a nuclear warhead. Now, I, I think uh, American listeners may be uh, familiar with the idea of uh, uh, multiple warhead missiles. Uh, our arsenal has, has had them uh, for a long time, as did the Soviet arsenal back during the Cold War. Is this something that most nations that have uh, missile capabilities have, or is that a significant uh, new or alarming step for Iran? It is a significant and new alarming uh, step for Iran. Uh, most countries that do have multiple warhead capability also have a large nuclear arsenal. So it is a requirement for for a survivable nuclear missile to have multiple warheads so it can uh, defeat uh, missile defenses. Mm. In, in, in case of Iran, Iran, Iran Iran's main regional regional uh, rival or, or, or target would, would be Israel. So Israel has a, has a very capable missile defense capability. So Iran would, would want to have a, a missile with or without a nuclear warhead that is capable of, uh, at least has a good chance of defeating uh, missile defenses. So it's a, a matter of, of possibly even more than just the ability to throw multiple warheads around. It's more the, the idea that you can use that capability to defeat defenses and get something to the target. Yes, yes, that, that, uh, that, that, is, that is true. But uh, when, uh, when you want to have um, a unitary target, it, the, the, the payload would, would be very, very large for 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 a unitary target, unless you want mm-hmm. to, to do a very good amount of damage to it. Well, so you'd mentioned uh, the similarities with North Korea's Hwasong-10. Does the new Karamshar missile's similarities with that uh, North Korean missile tell us anything about either the nature of Tehran's relationship with North Korea or maybe the likely future direction of Iran's missile development? Yes, um, Iran's military cooperation with North Korea dates back to early 1980s when North Korea sold cheap weapons to both Iran and Iraq. 
Later in the decade, Iran bought a complete production line for assembling Scott B and C missiles from Pyongyang. And uh, that corporation later gave birth to Shahab 3, uh, an Iranian version of the North Korean No Dawn missile. And if Horam Shah is indeed a, a derivative of Hwasong 10, as, as is uh, claimed, it suggests such a cooperation has not stopped there, and we could expect elements of, of, of North Korean ICBM programs, uh, such as high-performance liquid, liquid fuel engines in Iran to at some stage. That would be a troubling site for the Western world. Do we believe that North Korea has uh, missiles in hand that are capable of being mated with a, uh, a, a, a nuclear warhead of, of reasonably small size? Is, is, is there a danger of, of that technology being transferred in, in any kind of rapid fashion? Well, North Korea has a very uh, has proved to have an advanced ICBM program, and that was one of the reasons that uh, now they are negotiating with the United States. The North Korean ICBM program, I believe, is capable of, of delivering a nuclear warhead to, to, a, to target at a significant distance, in fact, to the mainland United States. Uh, but uh, to see any of those technologies in Iran, it, 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 is, it could be a matter of time, but uh, we have to wait and see for, for, for any evidence to materialize. Well, getting back to the December launch in, in specifics, the commander of the uh, IRGC, the uh, Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, the commander of their aerospace force, uh, I believe the name is Brigadier General Amir Ali uh, Hajizada, has claimed that the December launch was perfectly routine and that Iran tests 40 to 50 rockets each year. But in your recent paper, you cite multiple sources who count far fewer test launches and even more actual offensive missile strikes, such as a dozen or so against targets in Iraq and Syria just in the last few months. So what's the significance of Iran testing fewer missiles than claimed? First, it could suggest that many Iranian claims should be taken with a grain of salt. And they, 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 they actually do not have a, a missile program as reliable as they think. And, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's, you know there, there is and will be a reliability problem with Iran's missile program when there, there is not enough tests. And this is a reality, and we, we saw in the most recent launch of the space uh, rocket as well. And it is possible that many Iranian tests have actually been left unreported, especially during the President Obama's eight years in office. That is another possibility. But uh, to, to fully develop a large, complex rocket design for military purposes, especially if uh, it is a multi-stage rocket, Iran would need to conduct it as at least 40 test launches over a decade. Mm. So this number could be brought down by extensive uh, use of, uh, of, of, of computer simulation, for example, use of specialized development rockets integrated in other programs like, like a space program, and uh, larger scale ground tests. Um, th there hasn't been many signs of the larger scale ground tests, but, uh, but we know that Iran does have a space program. Mm. And Iran seems to have been exercising at least some of these options. So oh, any collab collaboration with North Korea is an option as well um, on missile technology and uh, probably outsourcing um, missile tests. 
Hmm. So when it comes to uh, what we're taking with a grain of salt, it sounds like we should keep in mind that there's every indication that the Iranians are understating their offensive intentions, but currently overstating their existing capabilities. Um, that is correct. You know, Iran has, has its own concept of deterrence, and Iran's concept of deterrence and military thinking may ultimately be defensive in nature, but but only time will tell whether they will settle for a lasting accommodation with the world and the region or, or continue to, to challenge the status quo as they have been doing repeatedly with, with their original proxies. And um, uh, there, there are no talks of an ongoing process, uh, an ongoing process by the Iranian armed forces to, to assume an offensive posture to defend the country and Islamic regime using a target-centric approach, an approach beyond the, the asymmetric one that they have been talking about over the past decade. So, so although for now Iran might think defensively at the strategic level, they are shifting, as, as they say, to a more offensive posture, both operationally and tactically. We, we are seeing this, the, the, these uh, developments in their uh, latest um, drills, both, both in the Persian Gulf and on the ground. And um, and also with regard to the missiles, Iran's 2,000-kilometer missiles pose a threat to the southeastern Europe, yes, uh, while long-range missiles of the Khoramshar could expand that threat to, to, the, to the whole whole continent. So, now we, now we are seeing that they, they, they want to have this capability to exercise all, all the uh, options, both, both offensive and defensive. And the IRGC commander, um, mm -hmm. recently spoke of a strategic logic behind such range extensions and, and warned Europe that if they meddle uh, in our affairs and, and, and pressure us pressure us on our missile program, we, we, uh, we will be increasing our missile ranges and to, to, to reach entire uh, Europe. If, if I recall, that, that general in that statement um, spoke about, uh, quote, our defensive missile power in the same sentence where he was uh, speaking overtly about missile strikes against European targets, which raises for me the question of whether Iran regards the offensive use of missiles to be in some sense fundamentally defensive in nature as part of a deterrence in a way that is perhaps more active than uh, Americans are used to practicing deterrence, at least from our Cold War experience. Does does Tehran actually regard offensive threats to be in some way part of a defensive strategy as they see it? Or is that simply a, a form of rhetoric to try to avoid using the word offense when speaking uh, where Westerners can hear? Well, this could be a combination of both. The current Iranian regime has, has long believed its enemies have sought to break through its lines of defense by, by exploiting its vulnerabilities at all levels. Uh, therefore, especially after 9-11 era, Iran adopted this defensive strategy with a threat-centric uh, threat asymmetric approach to warfare at home, which in general terms calls uh, for application of uh, suitable means and skills to, to detect uh, the threats and respond to them in a timely manner. Um, uh, but 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 th there are talks of an ongoing process by the Iranian armed forces to assume an offensive posture, as I mentioned. And, uh, and as, as, as late as in 
January uh, chairman of the Iranian uh, general staff spoke of new offensive deterrent posture at operational and tactical levels of warfare uh, while sticking to, to a defensive strategy. So uh, they, they, like, like any other military establishment, they, they, they see the, the, these three levels of strategic, operational, and, and uh, the tactical uh, approach to, 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 to uh, operational art and, 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 and warfare. And the, w- w- while they ultimately want to, uh, to be seen as, as, as a, a, a defend, uh, nation in defense, they, they seem to be taking a more offensive posture against the modern hybrid threats that they, they think they are facing. On on the Karamshar missile, you you described it several times as the uh, two thousand kilometer um, missile, and and one thing that that number uh, strikes me as fitting in with uh, the Supreme Leader's statement that his government will not develop missiles with a range beyond two thousand kilometers, which is about uh, twelve hundred and fifty miles. Can we trust either that the Supreme Leader means it when he announces this prohibition or that the IRGC and Iran's military forces will obey any such limit? Iran has made it clear that it has the potential to continue extending the reach of its ballistic missiles. And this raises this question about this 2,000 kilometer limit set by by the Supreme Leader in in Iran. This, This mindset has been in place for some time, the, the mindset that we can build long-range missiles uh, and, and the 2,000 kilometer is no magic number for us. We face no technical or, or, or legal hurdles with regard to the range of our missiles. So a couple of years ago, uh, when, when um, the, the acting uh, IRGC Air Force commander admitted that, that Iran's civil uh, space, civilian space, program is merely a cover for for, for advancing the missile technologies, especially to circumvent this, this self-imposed 2,000-kilometer limitation on range, so we have to take it seriously. Uh, it is h- highly doubtful that limit is anything more than a temporary measure uh, for, for, for the whole situation to settle down. And as I mentioned before, Iran's uh, missiles with 2,000-kilometer range uh, may already pose a threat to uh, to the region, to the whole region, to the U.S. forces in the region, to Israel and the southeastern margins of Europe. And and looking ahead, you've warned that Western governments need to prepare for new missile provocations that may come during celebration of the Islamic Republic's 40th anniversary in February. What might Tehran do and how should Washington be prepared to respond? Uh, well, uh, Iran's First commemorative space launch failed last week, but uh, there's going to be another one in a few days, perhaps. And uh, we should also expect more displays of ballistic missiles, perhaps a closer look, a closer look at Khoramshar. And uh, we can also expect um, uh, a harsher reaction by, by, by not only by, by the United States, but also by the Western, Western uh, European countries. No, we, we could expect to see to see and hear more more uh, rhetoric with regard to to Iran's uh, right to have a, have a missile program, a defensive missile program, and and uh, the uh, the Western argument that uh, the existing Security Council resolutions uh, does not allow Iran to to continue with, with its missile program at this uh, present pace. 
I've been speaking today with Farzine Nadimi, an associate fellow at the Washington Institute, who specializes in the security and defense affairs of Iran and the Gulf region. Farzine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. This has been Near East PolicyCast from the Washington Institute. For more research and analysis on the Middle East, find us online at WashingtonInstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute and subscribe to us on YouTube at Washington Institute for events and video explainers. Thank you.